0: Shall we pray? <clears throat> Father, once again we bow before you. We are grateful, Lord, for your presence. Your goodness to us already this day, Lord. Thank you for songs of inspiration, for those, Lord, that were willing to be used of you to pen these words down and be an inspiration in the years to come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for voices that we can sing. Thank you for ears that we can hear and our hearts that can understand and perceive. What the Spirit says. And Lord, now as we go into this session, I pray, Lord, that each one of us would have an open mind, a ready mind to receive instruction that your Holy Spirit gives. And Father, I pray you would just use me as a vessel, nothing more, Lord, where you can flow through, Lord. Give me clarity of thought. And Lord, may each one of us be receptive, be willing to understand where you're coming from, God and what you require of us as your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, we're going to read 14 through verse 30. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto, delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded them with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained besides them five talents more. His Lord saith unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord." He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art an hard man reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawd. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I soweth not, and gathered where I gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath 10 talents for unto every one that hath shal, shall be given and he and he shall have abundance but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of talents but recently I had a uh, series of messages in the home church there concerning the gifts of the Spirit that God gives us. There's uh, perhaps around 27 or so that are in the Bible. And I made a study of them and had four messages, series of four messages on them, because I, I felt that we're living in a day where the church has basically handed over all the activities and all the, how could you say, responsibilities over to the minister, ministers of the church. Uh, you go to almost any church today, even big mega-churches, and they usually have maybe uh, uh, maybe five or six elders and maybe one, and one pastor. And most everything, all responsibilities are carried out in the church through those. Um, I'm not saying that's wrong as far as those men getting involved. But look, the body of Christ is a body. And the body is made up of many members. And everyone that names the name of Christ that claims to be born again is a member in that body. And he's got a function that he'd better take care of or the body's going to suffer. And I feel that's one of the problems in the church today. There are too many people in the church today that are sitting there like a little bird in a nest with its mouth open or like a little child in its high stool with a spoon and a fork. Feed me. You're not going to get more out of church than what you put into it. Now, not all of us are called to get behind the pulpit. Not all of us are called to lead the church. Not all of us are called to have a responsibility where we are very uh, out in the open and, and, and are, uh, uh, you know, more, how could, what could I use here? Uh, anyway, like my body parts. How much do you see in my heart? <laughs> Nothing. But if it stops, this body's going to die. What I'm getting at, and that's not necessarily my message today, but it involves it, is this one this one person this one uh, one steward here that received one talent he said when the Lord came back and he hadn't done anything with it but had buried it he said I knew that you were a hard man you expect returns where you have not invested anything that's how a lot of church people are sitting around today I really don't have a gift I'm pretty well useless Lord you expect something from me when you have not really anointed me with anything? No, we all have a gift. You know, some of us are called to pray behind the scenes. Someday, God is going to reveal some mighty uh, revealing facts to us. And he's going to show that it wasn't the preacher behind the pulpit, it wasn't the one that was eloquent and could speak well, it wasn't the leader that was just doing everything right it was the people that were praying that are never noticed I'd just like to say get a hold of this and exercise the gift where you are and what God has given you alright let's look at stewardship what are we talking about when we use the word stewardship the word steward means an, Im- an employee who is in charge an employee who is in charge one who manages another's property. One who, administers, uh, one who administers as an agent of another. So when we think of stewardship, we think immediately of accountability. We think of one who is responsible for the welfare of another's goods. Goods that were entrusted to him. Does that sound like we could be stewards of gifts? Body parts? I have very little for individualism very little of it, for it I do not believe that a body part you chop my hand off it's not going to be out there waving to everybody that goes by it's going to die don't tell me that you're just a lone ranger out there and that you have your church with you and God somewhere in the woods don't tell me that I believe in brotherhood I believe in body part a body that functions together. Now, I'm not saying you can't commune with God, but you need to be accountable and responsible to a body. So, when we think of stewardship, we think of accountability. We think of one who is responsible for the welfare of another's goods. One who is going to be held accountable for how he used or misused the goods of the, of the one whom he is responsible to. Sometimes we think of good stewardship for the profit of the steward only you know when you think of being of good stewardship you know we've been taught growing up you need to be a good steward but most of the time we think of for my own profit that's usually where our thoughts go being a good steward for my own profit but we need to remember there's much more involved than that not only do we need to be good stewards of our spiritual welfare but for the furtherance of the gospel you know God is bigger than me myself and I in my little world and his purpose for the church is also so much bigger than that. We need to we need to be good stewards for the Lord's pleasure. After all the Bible tells us that's why he made us, for his own pleasure. If we are poor stewards of the manifold graces of God, we greatly hinder the work of God's kingdom. We greatly hinder it. God through his grace pours blessings into our lives daily to which you and I are responsible for we cannot just walk away from these things and think that well God has not really invested anything in me no every one of you has a part of God's investment every one of us does these blessings are gifts from God in 1 Peter 4 9 and 10 it says use hospitality one toward another without grudging and by the way hospitality is one of the gifts believe it or not use hospitality one toward another without grudging as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same, one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Our gifts vary, but whatever our gifts may be, even so minister the same, one to another. You know, they're, they're from the Lord, and He requires that we use these gifts to glorify Him as well. We are to be stewards, not masters, of these manifold blessings. Blessings. Paul asked the Corinthians, What hast thou that thou hast not received? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou didn't? Why do you act as if what you have is your own? I believe it's the essence of what he's saying. Why do you act like what you have is your own? Why do you act as if you have the right to do with your life what you want to? Don't you know who made you to differ from others? And that's another reason why it doesn't work you know, sometimes we have people that want to copy another. They admire this speaker, or they admire her, th- this, uh, wh- whatever talent this other person has, and so they try to copy him. We are individuals, made individually by God, and we need to operate in where God has put us. The person always makes a fool out of himself when he tries to be somebody else. We are not all the same in gifts or talents, but there is one, one th- thing we will all be held accountable you know, this is part of stewardship. We will all be held accountable for what we have been given. First Corinthians 4, verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, if faithfulness is, requ- is required of stewards, we need to look at some areas of our lives and make applications. That's what we want to do this afternoon. You know, we could lump some at all and say all that God has given us we need to be good stewards of. We could say that, But I think it is profitable to get practical in areas and recognize our responsibility to God and what He holds us accountable for in lots of areas of life. Since James tells us in chapter 1 verse 17 that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, we must understand that the very gift of life that God has given us, we are called to be good stewards of. The very breath that you and I breathe is borrowed. And it's a gift from the Father of mercy. The life that is in our blood that keeps this body that you see functioning is a gift. And it's and it's therefore a purpose. God has a purpose for every last one of us here on the face of this earth. You know, He has a plan and a purpose. And He wants us to carry out that plan and, and carry out that purpose that He has. He, he has given us an opportunity to, uh, to carry it out. And He wants us to be good stewards of it. The psalmist asked the question, who shall give thee thanks in the grave? Shall, the, shall thy loving kindness be declared in the grave? We all know the answer. In the grave, opportunity is past, change, and ability lies cold and still. But we who are sitting here tonight, uh, to, today are on this, this side of the grave. We are yet in the dispensation of time we are in that little slot that I had on the board the other evening we are yet there all of us who are yet living and breathing on the dispensation of time that we were allotted let's look at time as our first one what kind of stewards are we to that allotted time that God has given us the dash between the dates you know on the gravestones you see born so and so then a small dash died so and so that dash just that dash that's all my life amounts to a dash just a little dash we think we make a splash but all it is is a dash how do you and I spend our time the first thing we want to notice is the term we use our time is it our time really is it my time our time Let's remember, those of us that profess to be bought with a price are not our own anymore. We don't belong to ourselves. If you and I are employed by someone, if someone hires us out and we're employed by someone, we are responsible to give him our efforts, our abilities, our service, our time, our full attention and labors. There's not a whole lot left. Not a whole lot left. In short, we work and labor for him. We wouldn't think it right to shortchange him. In any of these things that I mentioned, we wouldn't think it would be right. Is it not much more so when we labor in the Lord's vineyard? How do you and I spend our time here on earth? You know, the world, to the world, time is money. Did you ever hear that? To the world, time is money. But to the Christian... Time means opportunity. Opportunity. Time is an opportunity for repentance unto salvation, fleeing into eternity. That's what time is. Time is an opportunity unto salvation, fleeing into eternity. The songwriter says, In eternity, time will be just a thing of the long forgotten past. Time will be just a thing of the long forgotten past. You know I think someday when we are all in eternity we can perhaps look back on time and it will be just that dash a thing of the long forgotten past. There are millions in hell today that would give anything to be transferred back into the realm of time for another opportunity. Today we are still in this realm of time this time of opportunity the songwriter also says we have this moment to hold in our hands and to touch and to slip through our fingers like sand yesterday has gone and tomorrow may never come but we have this moment today this moment you ever watch a a sand glass? you know you watch that thing and you watch that thing and you think it's not moving but it certainly is moving after a while the top is all and it's all on the bottom and it's all over that's how our life is. You know, I'm, sure, I'm glad we do not know, but we'd probably be really, really alarmed if all of us could see our time glass of life in front of us today. We'd have it sitting right in front of you on your table there, and you could see how much sand is left and how much sand is not. Perhaps some of us would get up very alarmed because we would see there's only a few grains left. We don't have to be alarmed. Live your utmost for the moment. And it doesn't matter when your time runs out. Oh, what a blessing it is to know the Lord. I often think, how did I think before I knew the Lord? I, I don't recall really uh, in detail how my thoughts used to go. My wife and I, well, remember when we'd be laying in bed, we, our, our conversion is quite a story, but uh, when we'd be laying in bed talking together and thinking, you know, how am I going to endure hell? And we used to think, well, somehow, somehow we'll make it. We didn't know how to escape it. We weren't rebellious, but we didn't know how to escape the thing. We weren't sure we are going to go there, but we certainly expected that because we, weren't, we had no, nothing to offer the Lord. <clears throat> well, what are we doing with these moments that are slipping by like, like, uh, through our fingers like sand I'll tell you what we are living in a day like never before and it's all designed by the devil there is such a rush in life such a, ru- a rush way back in the days of the psalmist he said be still and know that I am God and with the newest technology, it does not produce more time. I remember uh, plowing my fields with horses. And I remember making the change over with tractor. Did I have more time? No. Do you have more time today since you have the computer? No. You just do more. Or you think you do more, or you fool around more. Somehow time slips by. And, and you know, we're in, we're this, this whole universe is in such a rush it's like everyone is on a mighty miracle round and everyone wants to get off but they don't know how to stop the thing my thoughts often go to the songwriter running and rushing and racing, racing about as though all things depended on you giving yourself to the matters at hand with no reasonable purpose in view you know and it says there is so much that needs to be done and the pressure is almost too great then comes a voice and quietly whispers to listen before it's too late children of time children of mine be still and know that you're my special design children of time children of mine live in the spirit and let your light shine we get so caught up we get so carried away so often are you and I careful to make our time count are we good stewards of it What is our occupation? Is it contributing to the welfare of mankind? I I verily believe we should seek to be occupied in some occupation that will profit the community we live in. I believe that. I believe all of us, we should take inventory of what we do, our occupation. It should be for something good, something for the good of the community, something that is good for, for mankind. wherever there are a group of God's children living there the community should be blessed because of their presence or because of their occupation each morning God's children should determine and pursue and purpose in their heart to make this day count for the Lord to make this day count for the Lord we need to remember that every day we live whatever we do in that day we are exchanging that day, that opportunity, for one day of our life. And every day is a countdown. You know, the day you lived yesterday, the day you lived last week, the day you, the day you lived last month, was it worth it as a changeover? As a trade over? The last month, the 30 days that you lived last month, was those, were those 30 days worth it to give for 30 days of your allotted time? Serious thinking. Was yesterday a good trade? Like I said, well, we could say that here. In these Bible schools, I believe it was a good trade. But that needs to be our testimony for every day. There's a reason the Bible is so hard on a sluggard or slothful person, one with no purpose or motivation. the old saying still goes that idleness is the devil's workshop much mischief and gossip has come from idleness Ecclesiastes 10 verse 18 by much slothfulness the building decayeth and through idleness of the hands the house droppeth through my wife and I do a lot of uh, traveling and most of it by vehicle I don't really care to fly that much anymore it's getting so expensive too that uh, I don't fly that much but uh, we do a lot of traveling in vehicles and so we see a lot of landscaping and there's something sad about a barn or a house sitting out there in the open that once upon a time was good structure and now the roof is falling through I often think I said to my wife already I think if there's something if there's a law that people ought to make that the that the and authorities ought to make is if you buy land and there's a barn on there that has any decent structure at all, you're responsible to keep it in good structure. Just let the roof start leaking. You know, it's only a matter of time until that whole structure sinks. I've seen the last, uh, last few weeks, my wife and I traveled from New York all the way out to Montana, and we've seen dozens and dozens. Some of these buildings just, some of them fall over, others just simply sink like the bottom is eaten away and some of them had nothing left but just the structure of the roof on the ground and I think it's sad because if they would have had a little bit of upkeep especially the roof you keep the roof from leaking that building will last and last and last but I think uh, I think uh, it's like our life you know there needs to be some upkeep some maintenance and uh, that's the same way with our life if we just let things go by and by our life fades away Proverbs 19 verse 15 slothfulness slothfulness casts us into a deep sleep and an idle soul shall suffer hunger what about 40 hour weeks I know people that grump about 40 hour weeks well think a little bit 40 hour weeks are one third of your time one third you have 8 hours to work you have 8 hours to sleep and you have 8 hours for family time there's nothing wrong with a forty hour week. Nothing wrong with it. If you spend eight hours with your family, eight hours not working and not sleeping, you have eight just as much time with your family and little chores around the home or whatever, if you're a day laborer, you have as much time at that and your family as you have at your work. Forty hours is one third. And so and what about six days shalt thou labor? Oh my. I'm not sure I like that one. I grew up on a farm. I knew nothing, nothing of this Saturday takeoff. Anymore, the majority of our people are day laborers and they work five days a week. Now, I don't... I want it straight. I don't think there's anything wrong working five days a week for an employee... Uh, for an employer. You've got work at home sometimes Saturday, but this, this concept is going on into the next generation quite heavily where... You mean I have to work on Saturday? I mean, Saturday is my day to sleep in. Come on. Sleep in. And Saturday is, well, let's ask ourselves a question. Suppose the Lord God would have said, I'm not going to work the last day. None of us would exist. <laughs> Maybe the animals are out there, but none of us would exist but that's my day to sleep in God says I'm like ah let's forget about let's just scrap that thing of human beings no that's not the way God thinks six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work but we also need to look at the ditch across the road from idleness we can be ever so occupied and anything but idle but occupied for the wrong reason or for the wrong cause Solomon's testimony Ecclesiastics gives us a clear picture What can happen when we have a lot of ambition and a lot of motivation in the wrong direction for the wrong cause? Jesus says, labor not for the meat which perishes. Don't labor for that which has no moral value. Don't put all your life and your effort and your strength in something that has no repayment in eternity. Don't labor for that which has no value beyond this life. A good question for all of us to ask ourselves. What would you do tomorrow if all of a sudden you would find out that today is your last day upon the earth I mean what would you do for what would your plans be for tomorrow if all of a sudden you would know that this is the last day my sand is running all today would your perspectives change what about your goals we all know we drop it all now, am I, am I saying we should all be that, like the Thessalonians who said the Lord's coming, let's not even worry about work. No, the Lord says we are supposed to labor till he comes. What I'm trying to get at is this. Let's, let's just take inventory of our lives. I asked the question yesterday. What's he ye? key? I can't get past that question. Because if you are really, really honest with yourself, that is the most heart searching question. What seek Is it popularity? Is it is it reputation? Is it money? Is it what is it? What seek But if you would know that you're going die, you're going to uh, uh, you you're going to die today, would it make a difference in how you live the rest of the day? Would you and I pursue what we are pursuing? Some people are workaholics. They are addicted to work. Someday they will find out, like Solomon, that they labored for the wind. Look how America is spending its time. More and more and more. It's the opposite of workaholics. More and more you find America making holidays where there was no holiday. They just love to take any holiday, any excuse they can, and add it to Saturday so they have Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Or so, add it on a Monday so they have Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Just constantly. Anymore, you don't know, you've got to almost look at your calendar before you go to town to make sure the bank's open. That's all this leisure thing that everybody wants. Well, this is not just out there in the world. I find this in the church. More and more and more, we like to have time. Time for myself time for myself look I have no time for myself if I'm not spending it for the Lord I'm not a good steward now I'm not saying we need to be out there working as hard as we could but I'm saying take inventory of what you are doing with your time is it for the Lord or is it not in other words like I said last night can you add his signature to it there's no end to attractions for the idle mind Years ago, TV took away family time and communication. Now the world offers other options. Computers. Computer games. Internet. People that scoff and frown at addiction to tobacco, drink and drugs are addicted to these things. Right in our churches, people are addicted to these things. I'm not going to be shy about saying it. I'm telling you, I'm afraid that we, as God's children, have not seen the bottom line. We have not yet seen what this computer age is going to do to the Church of Jesus Christ. I'm afraid the Church is mouse-clicking itself to death. Women are sitting at the computers when men are at work. Children are not taken care of like they should be. Housework is neglected. The computer has the ability to hold you spellbound. For hours, for nothing, nothing worth looking at. The advertising world—it goes on and on and on. I marvel. I mean, here, here's some time ago. I somebody said you ought to check yourself out on the computer. What? I never went on the computer. Check yourself out. My wife typed my name in, and people could hear me preaching and whatnot. All who put that in there. <laughs> I had no say so whatsoever. I was about half annoyed. <laughs> Come on, I mean, somebody's spending a lot of time foolishly, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> <clears throat> well, if you want to be addicted to anything, get addicted, like the house of Stephanus was in 1 Corinthians 16:15. They were addicted to the ministry of the saints. That's a good addiction. Paul told the Corinthians that. Though all things were lawful, yet not all things are expedient. And I think, I think we need to look at this. I think we need to take inventory, where we're at in this. He said he would not allow himself to be bought under any, brought under any power of any. Well, I'll tell you what, there are a lot of people under the power of the internet. Facebook. Is Facebook all wrong? I'm not going to say a whole lot about that. But I will say this a lot of the things that could be used for good are being used for bad. TV. There's nothing wrong with TV if it would have been used for the good. Think a little bit with me how the gospel could have been spread if man would have just solely used TV for the furtherance of the gospel and for the Lord Jesus Christ and His glory. My, look how the gospel could have spread. But the devil also knows the effectiveness of these tools. And it will come right down to Facebook, Internet, anything you have. I mean, yes, the, the, the subtle part of the whole thing is this. Now, I could keep TV out of my home because I have absolutely no use to it. I told a brother today, I'm totally crucified onto the radio and TV and it's crucified onto me. I have no desire for any of it. I can be in a motel all week long for messages, uh, studying for messages, holding meetings somewhere with no desire whatsoever to turn the TV on. I have three vehicles at home. I believe all radios work in them. I don't know. I don't try them. I never turn my radio on in my vehicles. I have no desire for it. Uh, I I guess I can say I'm totally crucified to it and it's crucified unto me. Well, I'm not saying it's all wrong. There's some good on it and there's, all that is, all TV is, all internet is, all radio is, is an instrument that could be used for the good. That is not used for the good most times. And so, the reason I don't have TV is because I won't go to the grocery store and buy a bushel of apples that is nine-tenths rotten why should I buy it? And we need to look at some of these things and take some inventory of it because you can waste a lot of time with it and not only that, it desensitizes you. It's not very long until you, you, you lose your sensitivity to right and wrong and gray areas start appearing and what's more, we were talking about pornography and things like that yesterday and, and I'll tell you what, the handiness of getting that thing right in your face is to the point where, I mean I just, well I'll talk about that some on, uh, on my message on courtship but it's, uh, it's appalling what is happening well let's look at the area of spending money are we good stewards of that I once heard a minister say that he believes we are held accountable for every piece of copper, copper that we let go through our hands have you ever heard this remark what's money why not spend it you can't take it with you you might as well enjoy yourself Have you ever heard that? Well, that depends what you call enjoying yourself. I mean, that that depends how you go about enjoying yourself. The Bible says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Ecclesiastes 5.13 There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. We don't want to be found guilty of spending God's money unwisely neither do we want to be found guilty of sitting on some that could be used to glorify God sometimes when my wife and I we had a business for for quite a few years we don't have it anymore but uh, sometimes a customer would ask me to hold a check so he would transfer money from his savings account to his checking account how often do we transfer from our earthly account to our heavenly account how often do we do that Does your heavenly account have anything in it? Laying up treasures in heaven where moth and rust doesn't corrupt and where thieves don't break through and steal. This is done by more than money. I think it's very important that God's children get some teaching on how to use their finances. Financial bondage is everywhere in the world. I mean, this whole nation. It's appalling to recognize. I don't keep up with latest events, but just the other day my son told me which I don't bother looking into it a whole lot not as much as he does he keeps track more of it than I do but he told me that it took 220 some years for the United States to get in debt to like 9 trillion dollars and he said since, Obama's is in, uh, since Obama is in he almost doubled it it took 220 some years to get the debt to 9 trillion and it took less than 4 years for Obama to bring it up to 15 trillion scary? let me tell you you better get serious. We are on the backside of what's going to take place. This American economy is going to collapse. It's not a matter of where, of, not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And all this stimulus stuff is nothing but a propped up thing. It's going to crash. And my concern is where are God's children going to be when it does? where are they going to be because today they're just like the rest buying and selling and and that's not all wrong but oh I I try to encourage the church at home please please prepare prepare if you're in debt real deep get out get out sell that you have if you have to get out you'll get caught and you know the world system is such that well if you can't pay file chapter 11 that's not right for the Christian that's not right you owe what you owe my wife's grandfather was a strong believer in believing that if you went to the grave with debt you were still accountable you can't excuse it financial bondage is everywhere people are strapped fast because of unwise spending to where they can't enjoy life I know of many people in the plain settings especially it's just the philosophy has been I don't know how it has been in your, your people's background but I know the Amish background has been quite heavily you borrow all you can to get ahead and you know what a lot of people got caught including myself in that when I got saved it was required that I give back what I had what was loaned to me because I was leaving the whole system and my parents required to give back what I had borrowed from my dad and I couldn't and I find over and over I sold my farm everything we sold out just to get rid of just, just so I don't have that debt back there and I find a lot of people they start up they are brought up in a religious setting and they don't know what the new birth is and their parents didn't know what it was and the parents helped them out they strapped themselves financially now they get saved and all of a sudden the rug is pulled out from under their feet and they're bound they're bound they want to serve the Lord and they're just tied tight financially get out I have great admiration for those who have convictions against any debt. Am I saying it's wrong to have debt? No, that's not what I said. I have great admiration for those that just don't want any debt whatsoever. There are more arguments in divorce cases over financial obligations than we think. I just recently heard the statistics from a counselor and he said most, most of the couples that come in to file divorce, it all started with money. Any parents that teach their children never to buy anything they can't pay for are doing their children a great favor. I didn't grow up with that philosophy and I got burned, like I said. I know from many of the plain settings, the philosophy is borrow all you can to get going. If you're not careful, you're going to get going all right the wrong direction. There are many people, including Christians, that are in terrible bondage because of borrowing money Proverbs 22 verse 7 the rich ruleth over the poor the rich ruleth over the poor and the borrower is subject to the lender you want to be subject to the world? no the old, the old way for the Lord to the children of Israel was you are able you shall not borrow but you can lend out to others but don't borrow from the world there are many who need to work 50 plus hours a week just to make their payments they can't, they can't afford to take off even to help someone they're so strapped they can't take a day off if there's a, if there's a work bee in the church they can't afford to take off they're so strapped many are at this place I saw on a, on a bumper sticker I owe, I owe, I owe so off to work I go Borrowing money, after all, is presuming on events to take place before they actually do. You can't deny that. Borrowing money is presuming on events to take place that, uh, before they actually do. It's like counting chicks before they're hatched. James 4:13 4, and 14, "...Go to now, ye that say, tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a city, and continue there a year." and buy and sell and get gain. Verse 14 says, "...whereas ye know not, what shall be on the morrow? For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little." And it vanishes away. Verse 15 says, "...for that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live, and do this or that." We need to learn to wait on the Lord. Many times we get ourselves into a financial bind because we didn't wait on the Lord or we didn't ask counsel this may seem a little strapped a little tight but my wife and I were part of the Mennonite church for years and in that church we were not allowed to buy a car without seeing the deacon we were every every year we had to give in give in give the deacon a financial statement I mean this is and if a brother loaned money to a brother that brother that borrowed from the other brother was to keep account of every cent he he used that money for what he did with it Well many times things do not appear like they really are or turn out like we had not had, or don't turn out like we had planned especially in the area of our finances many times the impulsive borrowing or spending attitude interferes with God's provision you know today borrowing money is way too easy way 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 too easy it's too easy for our own good this prevents God from showing how he provides in a crisis you know if people if all of a sudden something went wrong and you don't have it you can just go to town and borrow the money instead of going in prayer going to your prayer closet and asking God to help you out of the situation and God's hands are tied sometimes because we don't give him a chance borrowing money also intensifies temptation First Timothy 6 9 but, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition sometimes God does not provide funds for our wants knowing that it will harm us spiritually I think of the psalmist that talks about the children of Israel you know they pled and pled and pled with God when God said no they kept pleading anyway so God answered their request but sent leanness to their soul we can be a Balaam just insisting to have our way we might get our way but we will certainly experience leanness in our soul we could go into detail about managing our finances what is a good investment and what not but we want to stick mostly to stewardship this afternoon and make some more applications this includes teaching our children how to wisely use money I feel sorry for the children who are in their upper teens and don't know how to manage their own money their parents never taught them but handed them money when they, whenever they wanted some, just handed them over My wife and I talked about that just recently. We know a few families that it seems the husband is such a good businessman. They always have lots of money. Those children grow up not knowing the value of money. They don't. They don't know the value of money. Whenever they'd get in a pinch, Daddy was there to help them. This is setting the stage for financial problems later on on in life. I think it's good to teach our children the value of pooling the family's earnings. I'm not sure where you're at And I'm not insisting on this. I want this straight. I don't know what your uh, what your uh, policy was in the home you grew up in, but I grew up in a home where all of us children gave all of our earnings to our parents until we were 21. I worked at a place from when I was 15 until I was 21, and uh, I put 45 to 50 hours in a week, and I gave every paycheck to my dad until I was 21. I never got a percentage of that money my dad bought me my first horse and buggy never had to pay for that never had to buy any clothes nothing like that if I wanted something special of course I had to buy which we had all kinds of ways as children how to save up some money and this and that but uh, I stuck to my job many, many, many times I want, you know like a youth is I am sick of this job and I wanted to walk away my dad always urged me know, stick it out stick it out son I'm sick of this job but I stuck it out and today I am ever so glad my dad didn't just let me leave this jumping from job to job because I don't like it that's that's something that's prevalent among teenagers and I think it's good for the parents just to encourage the young people stick in there it's not all about the pay well I hung in there and you know eventually I got six paid holidays and one paid vacation one week of paid vacation a year and if I worked those days, which I did most of the time, 4th of July in those places, I didn't care for taking off on the 4th of July. And if I worked those days, I got paid double. If I had a week of paid vacation, I got paid double if I worked. And so I did. And my dad said, that's yours. You can have that. By the time I was 21, I had $1,200 saved up. That's 1970. I don't know what that would amount to today. It wasn't that much, but I'll tell you what. I, had, I was taught not to blow my money now, I'll get into that later. I don't think it's wrong for children to have their own money, depending what they do with it. We'll, we'll talk about that later. But by the time I was 21, like I said, I had $1,200. <clears throat> Is it not reasonable for children to try to balance some of their, the expense that they, that they were uh, responsible for in growing up years? I know people look at this and they say, what kind of parents did you have? I mean, to require that you pay, give your paycheck back home. Is it not reasonable that children also help pay for some of their expense in growing up? Absolutely. There's something like a family tie that helps when children all pool their money together. I've seen many, many families that never were able to to get ahead financially until the children were old enough to help work at it. At the same time, there were boys I worked with that lived at home, paid no board, got all their needs supplied, drew full wages like I did, but never had anything. They blew their money from one week to another. Easy come, easy go. Some of them, by the time they turned 21, they had debt instead of $1,200. But the worst was to come. The worst wasn't just that they didn't have any money. The worst wasn't just that they had accumulated debt by the time they were 21. But because of their loose, impulsive, buying lifestyle, They were unprepared to face a real world. That's the worst. It's hard to get out of that impulsive spending once you start down that road. It's hard to get out of that. They had already developed an easy-come, easy-go attitude toward finances, and they were in no shape to get married and raise a family like many of them did anyway. Today, many of them are divorced and remarried. My daughter, she never had a high-paying job. She taught school in our church. She got $1,500 a month. No, I'm sorry. That's what my son got just recently. My daughter got six hundred dollars a month for teaching school. She worked at a local uh, uh, can't think of the name, just a local little grocery store there. Where she where she worked, uh, and and she got you know wasn't every day. She just worked part time there, so she never had a high paying job. By the time she got married. She had just under $20,000 saved up. And she bought her own car, she bought her own insurance, and paid for everything. We never charged a room and board at home. But uh, matter of fact, she invested some of her money in our business. And when she was ready to have, when she wanted it back, when she got married, we gave it back. If a young lady that holds a job or a young man that can earn wages cannot start a savings account before they get married, they will never survive after they are married and expenses really start pouring in. It's an open door to some real trials ahead. Good stewardship also goes hand in hand with self-discipline. It does. Good stewardship goes hand in hand with self-discipline. My brother-in-law told me that he investigated the experiences of some of the young boys in his church that worked for him. He had some young boys, single boys that worked for him. He had three groups of boys. One got all their wages at 18. Another group got a certain percentage at 18. And another got very little of what they earned until they were 21. They gave it to their parents. Today, the ones who got the least are the furthest ahead financially. And the ones who got the most are the worst off. Now that doesn't say that has to happen. What I'm saying in essence here is they were not taught what to do with their money. I'm not saying that children cannot pull their own wages when quite young and the parents consent to it. But such should be under strict observation. Under strict observation. Where the parents see to it that they budget their spending and put the rest in savings. Someday they will thank their parents for their carefulness. I think it's a good idea to put all the week's earnings into a savings account except for the tithing and the meager amount and a meager amount for spending if a special trip or special plans are to take place and they want to do something that will cost more let them save out of that small spending money until they have enough to take the trip don't back up I'll get done I'll just skip most of it. (laughs) Now, if we want to see how impulsive buying leads to poor... Now, we want to see how impulsive buy, uh, buying leads to poor, uh, to poor stewardship. The world is geared for the impulsive buyer. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is very hard to deny when one is impulsive. By now, while the supply lasts, this one won't last called a day. Ninety days, no interest. Does that sound familiar? I believe it's important that we pray about these things. I believe it leads to poor stewardship when we walk around in these shopping malls and so forth. I'm not sure what I want to say and what I don't want and what I want to keep. I think I'm going to skip most of this. I'd like to uh, I'd like to look at some areas of stewardship we want to look at uh, and, uh, and I'm going to conclude the one on finances with a list of some open doors to poor stewardship in this area shopping malls do you feel at home in these places? there's nothing wrong with feeling out of place restaurants I'm amazed how the next generation seems to know of every new place to eat how did it start? it started with the parents are we in danger of being of those whose God is their belly? red tag sale days I've taken a red tag off to find that the underneath was cheaper yard sales how come there's yard sales impulsive spending that's why there's yard sales for sale ads in the penny saver and such loose cash on hand credit cards no planned budget I think I should get into credit cards but I'm not sure I have the time alright I think it's very important that we understand what credit cards are doing why do you think it pays merchants to accept credit cards their sales go up 60 and 70% if they have the ability to handle credit cards does the public have more money no they just fall more for buy now and pay later and this carries over into the spiritual people will impulsively do something today with no regard for the bellyache that sure will come tomorrow that's what gets into it same way with lottery tickets what's wrong with lottery tickets? there's so much depth in that people gamble their life away it doesn't stop at money they gamble their life away people buy more than they need with credit cards because it's cheaper let me tell you something nothing is ever cheap I don't care how little you give for it if you don't need it if you don't need it it's not cheap All right, I'd like to think a little bit of saving money. If you lay aside $1,000 per year, $83.33 per month, $2.77 per day, at 5% interest, in 40 years you'll have $120,800. At 8%, you'll have $259,056. 2% difference makes... A big difference if you and I would save a dollar per day at 8% interest in 40 years we would have a hundred thousand dollars many people think nothing of spending two dollars per day for coffee soda and tasty cakes at 8% interest in 40 years they would have two hundred thousand dollars which would you choose give you a test 1 million per day for 35 days 35, year, uh, 35 million dollars? Or would you choose a penny per day, saving a penny per day, doubling it every day? The one, you would have 35 million. That is, if you would, if, uh, if you would get a million per day for 30 days. The other, if you lay a penny aside every day and double it every day, in 30 days, you will have $339,456,652. May God bless you.